Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, welcome everybody. Um, so great to have you. And um, I just want to thank, I don't even know that they're in here, I think they're busy working, but Luke and Sarah, uh, just the way that they've um, set up this room, it's so great. And uh, we've got food. I don't know if you're here last week. I had, what were those things called? Nachos. Man, they were massive. That was so great. Oh, the week before. Hillary, it's all right. We didn't, like, just hide when you showed up and ate nachos to ourselves. Um, but, yeah, the week before. And, uh, yeah, so I really want to give them thanks and, and um, honour for that. So it's going to be a great night tonight. Yep, let's thank them even though they're nowhere to be seen. All right, so I would like to ask the question, what have you learnt about yourself and your responses during this time. It's a question that I often ask myself in every season and also ask um, my children if they're going through a rough time. I'll say to them, well, what do you think God wants to teach you during this season? And so it's a great question just to periodically ask ourselves of whatever time we're going through, whatever circumstance we're going through. Well, I don't want to get through this and out the other side not having learnt what God wanted to teach me. And so I want to ask that in this latest crazy little time, what have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about your go-tos, your coping mechanisms? What have you learned about your pattern of thinking, about your mindset? What have you, what have you thought about? And, and some of you are really deep thinkers and self-analytical and you're like, oh yeah, well, this, this and this and this. And others of you are like, it is like five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I don't want to think that deeply right now. I just ask you to give me 20 minutes of your time and, uh, and then I'm going to invite some friends up and they're going to give, just give them 10 minutes of your time. And then we can all go eat steak sandwiches and jump on the jumping castle and not think deeply anymore. But self-awareness is such a great thing. And we've just had this season of lockdowns and, and pro-vaccine rhetoric and anti-vaccine rhetoric and, and government policy and social media fights and the Great Reset, which is an economic thing, people, not a Thanos slash Bill Gates slash Chinese government reset. This is uh, an economic reset and something that's called the Great Resignation. They're estimating that 40% of the workforce will resign from their jobs and will go and get new jobs. And so there's this, all these things happening. And I want us to look at it and go, well, what have we learned? What are we taking away from this time? What are you going to, what is God going to teach you about yourself during this time? What will you learn and what won't you learn and what will you take with you and what won't you take with you during this time. So there's a scripture that's coming up on the screen, Galatians 6, verse 4 and 5. And it says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Let's read that from the message paraphrase. It says this, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. So that's the purpose of tonight. We're going to spend just a few short moments making a careful exploration of who we are. We're going to take a case study from the Bible. And uh, so I wonder if tonight you'll pray this prayer with me and the psalmist who wrote it. Um, if we want to throw Psalm 139 up there, just have a quick read. Make sure you agree with praying this. I don't want to force you to pray something that you don't actually mean. But if you mean it, then let's pray this together right now. One, two, three. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would do that in our lives, that, Lord, you would test us, that you would search us out. Lord, I just pray that everyone here today would feel safe enough with you to surrender themselves and lay themselves bare and say, God, come and search me. I want to be known by you. I want you to get out of me the things that you don't want in me. And I want you to put into me the things that I don't necessarily have on my own. Will you take me to where you want me to go in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So as our case study, we're going tonight to the book of Genesis and Exodus. And we're just going to read from the start of Genesis right through to the book, end of the book of Exodus. Um, so buckle in, people. And uh, we're obviously not going to do that. But I would encourage you to do that over the next few months to a year. <laughs> It'll probably take you that long. But I'm, I'm just going to give you the vast overview and kind of use these people as a case study. Um, if you have heard Daz's message online this morning or in, in the 10 a.m. this morning, you would have heard him talk about Joseph, who was this confident kid. And isn't it true about confident kids that often they're not very well liked? Anyone with a super confident kid found yourself without many friends? Your brothers and sisters hated you? That was Joseph. And so Joseph was this confident, super confident kid, father's favourite. That's not going to help you either. And his brothers sold him into slavery. Anyone been sold into slavery lately by their brothers? Isn't it? It's horrible, isn't it? But anyway, he, they go, he goes into slavery. He ends up in a country called Egypt. And um, basically, in the midst of all these horrific things happening to him, uh, years of false accusation and imp false imprisonment, uh, what happens is that God is with him through every single circumstance, that God um, actually stays with him and promotes him and keeps, stays faithful and true to him through every single circumstance. And he ends up in this place where he's able to speak to the Pharaoh and tell the Pharaoh that by the grace of God and with the help of God, hey, Egypt's going to have seven really bountiful years and then seven really lean years. And I've got this strategy, Pharaoh. So we're going to, during the bountiful years, we're going to store up a whole lot of grain into whatever they called silos back then. And um, actually, we've got a picture of the silos that they built back then. These are actually, they, there was an archaeological dig. It was all under, um, you know, ground that had moved. These are the silos that were built in like, around that time, and they actually found a bunch of silos and an administration centre um, that confirmed what the Bible had said all along, which is pretty cool. I love it when that happens. Uh, and so, um, basically, they, they got all this grain in, and it, the Bible says that Joseph actually stopped even keeping count because there was so much grain coming in that he stopped keeping the books. And then what happened next was that, um, of course, the seven lean years came, just as he had predicted and, and foreseen. And, and then what happened in, during these seven lean years is that the famine was so bad across the land that all of these other countries came to ask Egypt for this grain and they sold the grain and they made a really big profit. And as part of that, Joseph's brothers actually came back and they were in the land of Canaan. They came back. They didn't know he was Joseph. He had the pointy hat thing and the eyeliner that Egyptians had and all that. And so they didn't recognise him, but he, he reveals himself to them. But even in the midst of that, Egypt even ran out of food themselves, That like apart from Joseph's big storehouses of grain. They'd even run out. And it says that they came back and they said, all our money is gone. Can you take our livestock? There's no point in us dying. Can you take our livestock? And so 
um, Joseph took their livestock. And then they came back and they said, the next year, they said, all our livestock's gone, all our money's gone. We will sell you us and our land. We'll just be your slaves. It's now all yours. We're yours. It's all yours. Now, the crazy thing about this is, is that if the people had have stored their own grain, taken responsibility for their own grain and stored that up themselves, then they would have been fine during the lean years. But instead, they had to rely on the state, they had to rely on the government to look after them during the years of famine. Okay, fast forward, you might have heard of a dude called Moses. By that time that Moses comes along, um, the Hebrews have had heaps and heaps of babies and uh, they're worried that they're going to overpower them. So they subjugate them, make them their slaves, these Hebrew people. And, they've got, and that's how they get their pyramids built and their sphinx built and all the other things in the ancient Egyptian world. Moses is raised up as the deliverer. He goes to the Pharaoh. This is generations after Joseph. And he says, let my people go. They get let go. And they let love show me life like it. No, that's not based on that scripture. And then in Exodus chapter 14, uh, they're standing at the edge of the Red Sea and they are trapped. And maybe you heard this in Sunday school. Don't you love the stories that we tell our kids in Sunday school? Uh, just little toddlers, they were trapped on the edge of the Red Sea, but God opened up the Red Sea and let them walk straight through. And then the Egyptians came in after them and God drowned them. And they were screaming and, have a good night's sleep, kids. Um, okay, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 to 14 says this. <gasps> Exodus, Exodus 10, no? No good luck? No, okay. I'm guessing no. If it comes up, let me know. Um, it basically says, because I can't quote it off by heart, and this is why you should always bring a Bible to the pulpit with you, but it says they're there and they're like, God, uh, Moses, what are you doing? We could have died in Egypt. Gail, have you got it there? Exodus 14, 10 to 14. Hey, oh, no. <laughs> Thanks, Ree. We're good, we're good. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen to us while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So this is the um, Israelite people now having been freed from slavery and, and this is their response. I read you this first response because this is a pattern of response that happens for the next few 40 years all through the wilderness. And Moses' response is often the same as well. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. So this is, thank you so much, Ree Burns. Can we give Ree Burns a hand? Thank you. As we like to call her. So this, um, this crazy instance, and this is the same response over and over that the people of Israel give in the wilderness. Now, through validly tough situations, this continues and continues. But what we see here is an automatic mindset response, a victim mentality that they have, that they just respond out of. And say, oh, why, Moses? We could have just stayed in Egypt and been slaves, but at least we'd be alive and we wouldn't be enduring what we're going through right now. And there's this automatic response. So my question to us this afternoon is, 
What is our automatic response? What is your automatic response? And I don't negate that it's valid. I don't negate that you might have endured some form of hurt or trauma in the past that creates this response in you. Let's not forget that the people of Israel, they had slave drivers. Of course, they're going to respond to authority in a certain way. But they've been given a new day. They've been given agency. They've been given freedom, but they're responding with the same mindset. What mindset do you automatically respond with? Let me give you a few. Do you respond with a scarcity mindset? Where if someone's doing well, that you need to respond out of fear because their doing well is clearly taking from you because there's only so much to go around. Can anyone identify with that? If they're doing well, then I need to quickly pull them down because they're taking what might be from me. That is the definition of usurping. Uh, Jacob was called the usurper because Esau popped out of the womb, sorry, popped out of the womb first. Jacob grabbed his heel, pulled him back. And that is the definition of usurping where someone is up here, but you grab their heel and pull them down to give yourself the upper hand. Do you respond with a scarcity mindset? Well, I don't know how much there is for me, so I've got to pull you down to pull myself up. Do you respond with control? I'm not going to look around the room at all. I've got some friends here today that we can respond with control. Anyone like that here tonight? No, don't look at people. Just let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Does anyone respond with envy? How about this? Um, the people of Israel, they were in the desert and Moses went up the hill to meet with God and they thought, well, we want to worship as well. So what did they do? They asked Aaron if they could give him all their gold and if he would mould it into something that they could worship and he moulded it into a cow. Why? Because the Egyptians worshipped cows. They, lots of their gods and goddesses they made in the image of a cow. So they just went to what they knew and worshipped what they knew. What do you do? What's your go-to? What do you, when you want to do something with your mind, with your thoughts, what is it that you go to? I'm going to be vulnerable with you this afternoon and let you know that for me it was like these romantic scenarios. Anyone a Jane Austen fan? No one's admitting it. Greg, I know you are. (laughs) Born in the 60s and a Jane Austen fan. I feel you, my brother. And... uh, um, romantic comedies, like that was my jam. I, I loved all that romantic stuff. So I fed my mind with that. And that's what I daydreamed about, romantic scenarios. Now, did that stop when I decided to give my life to Jesus? No, it didn't, because there was actually not that much harm in it. It wasn't like I was daydreaming the heck out of stuff. But, I, I, but then did it stop when I got married? No, it didn't. And all of a sudden, it's a bit harmful, because this is a well-worn path in my mind, but I'm daydreaming a romantic scenario that doesn't involve my husband. Now, generally didn't involve me either, which you could think would be okay, but my mind is taken off with this romantic scenario that's taking away from real life over here. And I can think of a bunch of instances in your life and mine where the not real takes away from the real, where our energy is given to what's not real and we're missing out on what's real over here just like the people of Israel. What's your go-to? If I'm going to admit that, and I'm going to admit that it took me a few decades to get out of that mindset, then what before God will you be honest about today? And what's the antidote to that? Well, I'm going to give you a whole lot of R's. 
And the first one is responsibility. We take responsibility. The people of Israel were in that desert and they kept saying, where's the meat? Where's the bread? We had plenty of meat and bread and back in Egypt. And they failed to take responsibility for where they were now. They just kept looking back all the time. And they kept having this automatic reaction of grumbling and murmuring. That's what the Bible says in Genesis and Exodus as you read it over this next year, you'll find out as well. I would put it like this, that, that we have this automatic reaction that is the wiring of our brain, but, but God gives us the opportunity to take responsibility, the ability to give a response rather than just a reaction that He has empowered us by His Holy Spirit to rewire our brain. We'll get to that in a moment. But what I want to say is own your algorithm. Has anyone seen The Social Dilemma? Daz has. And no one else. Uh, yes, Belle, thank you. Okay, The Social Dilemma, it's on Netflix. Um, you can go home and watch it tonight. But basically what it talks about is the fact that social media companies and Google and things like that, that they actually feed us what we want to hear. That they, they have polarised uh, the population so much that there's no longer just this, you know, middle ground and people out in the fringes. That, but no, they've pushed people out to the fringes because they just keep reinforcing what they already believe. And so our, our feed actually feeds us. We, we, we get more and more fed by what it is feeding us. And so I want to give you an example from this. A, a, a long time ago, I was speaking to um, a friend of mine, and as they searched in Instagram, some untoward pictures came up. Now, it wasn't like detrimental. It wasn't like porn or anything like that, but it wasn't great. And as they looked, as they, the, it came up in their search, I'm like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> wow, what's that doing there? And they said, oh, I don't know, it just comes up. And, and I said, oh, no, that's not the case. Because your algorithm tells it what to feed you. And, and they're like, no, no, it's just come up. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll open my search feed. There you go. It's not there. And they're like, oh, Bron. Yeah, I've been clicking on stuff. And none of it's been bad. And you could tell that none of it had been truly, like, awfully bad because of what was coming up in the search. But it wasn't helpful to them. And, and, and it took owning the algorithm and going, okay, well, this is the go-to clearly, because it's what's coming back to me, and I've got to own that. What's your feed feeding you? And now, if we take that out of the um, digital context and we just go with our minds, what's the automatic response that we're having in our minds to things? Because that is actually a product of what we're feeding ourselves. And can we own it? Can we take responsibility for it this afternoon? Are you all right in here this afternoon? Are you glad the lights are dimmed? All right, responsibility, that's the first thing that we've got to take. We've got to own our algorithm. Secondly, what about our rights? Because you know what the Bible says about our rights? We're going to lay them down. If you're a Christian, insisting on your rights is not part of what you have been created for. Our Saviour, He came and had all the rights. And before He even came, He emptied Himself of every divine power and came and lived among us as a man and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. He laid all his rights down. And those people of Israel, they kept saying, in Egypt, we had this, this and this. Sure, we were slaves, but we had this. And they're like, what about our rights? What about our slave rights? But it's all about laying our rights down. Thirdly, 
What about your reason? What about your underlying motive? Have you taken time to examine your underlying motive? Your action might be right, but your underlying motive might make that right action wrong. I was going to go to an example this afternoon, but I feel like we've already gone too heavy. Okay, Um, you talked me into it. I was listening to a man this week, one of the 463 clips I've been sent since the start of the pandemic, and uh, he was talking about our motive behind what we're doing, the reason for what we're doing. And this is what he said. I found this very interesting. See, if I say that, you don't know if I agree with him or not. You don't know whether to blame me or blame him. You don't know whether to get angry at me or angry at him. I just say get angry at him. Um, But basically he said, you know, you could get the vaccine because you're scared of COVID. Wrong motive. Because it's fear-based. You could not get the vaccine because you're scared of the vaccine. Wrong motive because it's fear-based. You could not get it because you're insisting on your rights. Wrong motive because Jesus laid down his rights. You might have a really valid reason and amen. I praise God with you for that, for whichever you've done, whatever you've done. I praise God with you for that. But let's, can we examine our motives? Can we examine our reason? Will we put them under the spotlight of the Holy Spirit and go, God, search me and know my anxious thoughts? responsibility, rights, reason. And so then when we know those things, when we're going, okay, I can, I'm able to give a response rather than a reaction. Okay, I can lay my rights down. Okay, I've examined my reason. Then our three responses to that are, that number one, we need to often repent, don't we? When we examine our hearts, I hate that part. Repent is that we take an action that we're currently doing and we substitute it for another action. For example, Jesus says constantly, repent and believe. He doesn't just leave us in this place of repentance. He says, hey, now believe. I'm going to give you something else to do. So if currently what you're doing is gossiping, well, okay, repent from that, turn away from that and now start speaking well of people. Replace it with something that is going to build up and lift up. Secondly, rewire. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not be Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Allow God to rewire even the way that you think. Hear your go-tos and go, well, I'm going to repent from that. I'm going to change the action. But even more than that, I'm going to step back from that and change the thinking that is behind that action. There's not scarcity. It's not that if someone does well that they're taking away from me. No, I can celebrate them because there's enough in my God to go around. There's enough in my God that there's enough for everybody. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Cows are good. Finally, run. Run. Here I come. Tandy, sing it out. Running, running. You're the prodigal son. Anyone know the story of the prodigal son? He's a dude who says to his father, um, I wish you were dead so that I could have the inheritance. Give me my inheritance and, I'll, and I want to take it now. I don't want to wait. And uh, so he gives, gets his inheritance. He goes and he squanders it on wild living. And he's got heaps of friends because the party's going. But then the money runs out, so the friends run out. And he's in a pig pen because he's got nothing else to do. And he's looking at the pods that he's feeding the pigs. And he says, wow, I, I, I'm hungry. I could eat one of those. And then he 
comes to his senses and realises where he is in the middle of a pig pen. And he says, if I could just go back to my father's house, I could ask him if I could just come back as a servant because then at least I'd be fed. I, I could go back and I could be cared for and provided for. And so what he does is that he goes out and sits and he's got his speech re- rehearsed in his head of what he's going to say. But his father sees him from a long way off and his father hitches up his robe and his father comes running. And one of the reasons that that happens is because when um, someone would go, the people at the city gates had the right to judge the person that was coming back. But the father went running first and went running so that he would be the one to greet the son so that no justice would be carried out on him, but he would first extend mercy to his son. He protected him from all the judgment that would come on his son and he threw his arms around him and he put the ring on his finger and he said, come on son, and walk through the city gate saying, hey, here's my son, we're going to have a party. He's accepted no judgment necessary. So when we repent and when we begin to let God change the way we think, let's ensure that any time we slip up on that, that we just run straight back to the Father because there He is waiting to run to us as well. He's not waiting for you to be penitent and bow down on your face and say, I got it wrong, I'm such a filthy, rotten sinner. Now He's waiting for you to turn your shoulders and then He'll come running back to you. So let's ensure that we run, run, run to Him. And finally, lastly, Because, you know, when the children of Israel left, they didn't just take their slavery mindset and a whole lot of bad things. No, no, they actually knocked on the door of the Egyptians and said, you got anything you want us to take? And they were like, yeah, here, take our gold. We're so fearful of your God. You just take all our riches. And they carried with them into the desert the riches of the Egyptians. And you've actually taken out of this season riches as well. There's been good things happen in your life during this season. Things that you didn't know about yourself. Things that God has worked in you. Gold that God has worked in you. So I say rejoice. Don't forget to rejoice of the good things that God has worked in you, even in the midst of a difficult season. It's not just that you've got to go, whoa, my reaction. I'm going to take responsibility now. I'm going to lay down my rights and I'm going to figure out the reason. But also rejoice in all the good that God has done in your life. Amen. Has anyone got some good that God's done in their life in this latest season? Testify. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.